Hello, and welcome back to Strategic Alternatives, the RBC Capital Markets podcast. Today, we've been discussing the private equity M&A environment and what we can expect in 2024. I'm Vito Sperduto, Global Head of Mergers and Acquisitions here at RBC Capital Markets. And today, as you know, I'm joined by John Kokonos, Global Head of Leverage Finance and Capital Markets, and Hank Johnson, Co-Head of U.S. Mergers and Acquisitions. Hank, John, let's get back into it. Hank, we've talked a fair bit in terms of the different factors that are impacting the decision as to whether to launch a sale process, pursue a monetization, and the like. We've seen green shoots in the IPO market. And certainly with portfolio companies being in the portfolio longer, I think some of the growth that we've seen within the portfolio companies of our clients over the last few years, these assets are larger on an individual basis than we've seen through the history that we've been involved in the deal-making front. We always talk about dual-track opportunities and having a credible IPO market as a realistic competitor to a sale process. But maybe give us an update on what you're seeing there from some of our clients. Is that a concern? Do they need to see that IPO market in order to really move forward on some of these larger assets? Or is it helpful but not necessary? I mean, how are you seeing it? I often think that an IPO versus a sale, there's often an optimal path for the given company and industry. There are markets in 21 where things were all going well, and so both were very attractive. But you know, an IPO is a stage monetization, and so there is a trade-off of cash today versus the present value, which is realized over time. And I think a lot of our Private equity sponsors you know, have a bias towards you know a sale and, and having a complete exit. That said, the path to go public is many times for very large companies more actionable because the buyer universe is smaller and, and it's harder. And also, there are sectors where the growth characteristics and the future value creation opportunity are better recognized in, in the public domain. That said, you know, the credit profile or the leverage profile r- rather is very different in, in public. And so having to think about while some of these businesses have grown, there's a deleveraging that's required to go public. And so there's there's multiple factors that are happening. Yes, we like the dynamic of having a, a credible threat of an IPO in a sale process. It's another alternative available to to owners. You know, sponsors like having multiple paths for exit, so it's, it's attractive. But I think in general, there is a preference for, you know, realizing full proceeds from a sale. One of the ways I've described it to a lot of people is that you're going to certainly consider a lot of these sort of different alternatives, a partial monetization, a partial sale, a continuation fund. But when the ability to execute a traditional LBO, a traditional sale, sell 100% is more uh, realizable in the market, you're going to see people pivot to that. And we've always seen it. And I think you know our clients in this world are extremely creative. They're on the cutting edge. But when the opportunity comes to do traditional deals, I think they're going to be there. Maybe, John, let's pivot a little bit to that financing element. I mean, 23 was certainly a challenging year for the financial sponsor community as they were seeking new financing. And we saw the private credit folks provide a credible avenue for them to finance certain transactions. That market's kind of 
opened and closed on a quicker time frame at times. Give us an update on where that stands today and how you're seeing it as, you know, as the syndicated market and, and the traditional market is coming back in a ways. How are you seeing private credit play? Does it slow down? Is it always going to be an alternative? And what's going on today in that market? Great question. I mean, fundamentally, private credit is here to stay. It's really going to be part of the ecosystem of leverage finance. And there will be times when it's a very useful tool for companies, and there'll be times when there will be better alternatives available in the in the public markets. And so it's really going to be an ecosystem. So, you know, we saw private credit take a lot of share over the last 18 months. The real reason is that there are no caps and flex to the extent that we see in our deals. And you've got certainty of financing at the time. Now, the challenges of private credit are you're dealing with a very small group of lenders, and that may or may not give you pause around dealing with them down the road. You also have you know, limited ability to add to those financings if you're in a roll-up or a serial acquire situation. I mean, you know, these are big checks that are put out there, but it doesn't mean there's an, another big check behind them. But more importantly, as we look forward in a lower rate environment, I think you'll see that some of these deals that were done at the SOFR, you know, six, 700 level, we will be able to refinance those at compelling rates in our markets, not all of it, but some of it. And that'll be just a better cost of capital achieved for the owners, improving their IRRs. And in addition, if you think about sponsors positioning their companies for either more growth or eventual equity exits, you know, they can't go public with a private credit solution in their capital structure. It's just either they're too levered to go public or the cost of capital is too high to make the EPS equation work. So they'll have to improve their cost of capital. I think private capital serves a very good purpose. It's good for middle market financings. I mean, the markets in high yield and leverage loan really don't want to finance a company that's smaller than $100 million, to be honest. And so there's a home for these smaller companies to get financing. And I think the private credit is able to take advantage of market dislocations and when rates get higher or when banks are sidelined. But it's going to be an e ecosystem that we all live in and is used sometimes together, sometimes when the markets are not cooperative, sometimes when there's a leverage multiple that's trying to be attained. But I think we'll all coexist and you'll see situations where both institutional deals prevail or private credit deals prevail or they're even intermixed. Well, look, I think that's a, that's a positive, especially if there's more alternatives for our clients to help finance a transaction. Ultimately, we're looking for them to be successful on whether they're exiting or entering into a new situation. Maybe with that, let's pivot to a, a little bit of the industry side. You know, Hank, we've seen robust activity balanced across the board in our pipeline. You know, certainly, some of the energy M&A that's been happening on the corporate side has been a big boost to the business. And we're seeing a lot of healthcare and technology M&A as a regular uh, way, as it is every year, leading the way in terms of transactions. But in terms of where you're focused and the types of activity levels that you're seeing, what sectors do you think are going to be leading the way as we look to 24 for deal activity? Yeah, that's a great question. And you're right. We have just seen a lot of activity in the energy sector and shout out to our colleagues who were just on the Southwestern transaction. But as we look across, you know, private equity and thinking about some of the thematic areas, if I think about the industrial sectors, like opportunities to play onshoring, infrastructure, you know, housing related opportunities as mortgage rates come down on the, on the heels of the interest rate, you know, coming down. Thinking about infra broadly, right? It has become 
you know, a full asset, uh, asset investment class. And these infrastructure funds are broadening their scope where they're looking for opportunities to have the attributes of infra in a, you know, in sometimes a less traditional sense. Business services has always been a very active area within private equity, and we expect that to continue, whether it's the recurring nature of something like, you know, waste businesses or, you know, essential services. We've seen activity in HVAC and plumbing, continued rise in outsourcing opportunities, broader scope of asset managers, you know, financial and insurance brokerage. In healthcare, you cited, you know, healthcare and tech are always active and will continue to be medical devices and services and spec pharma are all areas who we would expect to continue to see private equity activity. And so as we step back and we think about it, and you made the point, within every industry group, there are sectors that we believe are, are well positioned for this coming year. And then within energy, energy transition, when you pull back, you think about the big themes. I mean, we advise Brookfield on the Westinghouse transaction, but there's plenty of other ways that sponsors are thinking about, probably is thinking about energy transition, these very large macro themes. John, in terms of the financing markets, are they more open for one sector versus another right now? Are you seeing any trends there, any distinction, or is it just traditional work? It's mainly traditional, but what I would say is investors try to anticipate where the markets are going. And so as you look at the possibility of a soft landing and a rate environment that's going to, you know, see reductions, you know, industrials, cyclicals, building products. I think those will be in favor because people want to get, you know, get ahead of being the first or second inning of those kind of recoveries as opposed to buying those deals, you know, in the seventh or eighth inning of an economic cycle. So we do expect to see a healthy amount out of the industrial space, and that can take the form of a lot of favors, aerospace, defense, transportation, building products, capital goods. You know, it's a big swath of area. I do think we'll continue to see some of the energy consolidation that Hank mentioned. You know, that's a big trend going on as well. You know, we underwrote one of the first consumer LBOs in the last year plus for Sheer Foods for CDNR, which is about to roll out. I think you'll see some more demand for consumer situations as well. And then, you know, technology always has a very good bid in the market. I think it just ebbs on the overall valuation. But I do think, you know, those are the sectors that are probably most active. I think Healthcare is going to be a little challenging just because we're in an election year and people get, you know, very worried about government change and stroke of the pen risk, et cetera. I do think, you know, retail is going through its own seismic changes about what that market in that sector looks like. But I think we'll see pretty broad-based participation, but we do think, you know, cyclicals will be in demand as people want to buy those early in the cycle. Right. And that's that cyclical comment and the financing associated with it, we think is going to drive M&A volume because, you know, there's a lot of those who are attracted to PE and that was a financing that wasn't available last year. One of the things I'm always excited about, you know, Hank and, and John, when, I, when we talk about our own business is that we're pretty well distributed across all the relevant categories in terms of industries and the like, and, you know, look forward to all those sectors really participating as we go forward. Interestingly enough, you know, today as we're recording this was announced a transaction where BlackRock is buying GIP, where they're going to basically triple the infrastructure assets under management that they have. And, you know, that's been a sector, and you know, we just mentioned it a little while ago, that we've been extremely active in. And certainly, we're seeing that blur across some of the different industries as well. 
So a lot of good opportunity as we head into 24, and certainly we see some activity growing. So as we close up, any thoughts in terms of you know one or two specific things you're looking for in 24? And maybe I'll start up. I think you know, I'm certainly looking for increased level of activity. I'm certainly looking for increase in sort of traditional transactions. I also think that the second half of the year where obviously there's a presidential election that's going to be going on in the United States, and there's a large number of elections going on globally, will cause some pause. But the reality is we're going to play through that because I think companies are and clients with the pent up demand and also with their experience historically are prepared to operate through that. But what are you guys looking for in 2024? I'm excited by the level of dialogue we're having with our clients. And when I look at our clients and I look at the repeat nature of many of our clients, that is exciting. You know, a lot of the areas we just talked about where we see increased activity aligns well with our platform. And so I'm looking forward to an increase in transaction volume specifically an increase in transaction volume with our private equity clients. And I expect that 24 will have PE vol, M&A volumes much more in that 30 to 35% area in line with historical levels and could exceed. And so I think that is very encouraging as we sit here today. Yeah. As I said at the you know onset of our call, the markets haven't felt this good in 18 months, and I haven't been more optimistic You know, in that same time frame. I think last year was challenging with the Fed hiking rates throughout the course of the year and a lot of fear about the economic uncertainty and the ability to have a soft landing, but it feels like we're setting up for you know, the 94, 95, 96 time frame where the Fed did do its job correctly and did have a soft landing, and you know the markets took off after that. So I think it may be backloaded this year, but I do think we will see a pretty vibrant market. I think the sell side activity that Hank mentioned around portfolio companies of private equity that have been owned five, six, seven years, those, there needs to be monetization. I do think you'll see you know, bolt-on and growth acquisition to portfolio companies. And I do think you'll see you know, corporate activity going into the private equity hands. And so it could be a very good year in terms of volume and activity assuming you know the Fed stays on course and the economy stays on course and we don't have any things that we really can't factor into on the geopolitical or, or election front. Well, look, gentlemen, I, I, you know, I think that you've highlighted some great points and um, I can't overemphasize enough so much of the, the desktop exercises that we've been going through with our clients have been converting to live transactions and we're hopefully you know, on a trend where we're seeing more and more of that. And and John, the level of optimism as we go into the year, given everything we've talked about today, certainly as is at a pretty high level. So hopefully we see that translated as well. John, Hank, thank you as always for sharing the conversation and sharing your insights given the work you're doing in the market. So thanks for joining the podcast today and look forward to more conversations in the future. Thanks for having me back, Vito. Look forward to uh, more conversations in 24. Completely agree. Thank you, John and Vito. You've been listening to Strategic Alternatives, the RBC Capital Markets podcast. Join us for more analysis about what's moving the M&A markets in our next episode. If you'd like more information on the topics discussed today, please contact us directly or visit rbccm.com. This podcast was recorded on January 12th, 2024. 
If you're enjoying Strategic Alternatives, don't miss an episode. Subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please drop us a review and or a comment. This content is based on information available at the time it was recorded and is for informational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation, and no recommendations are implied. It is outside the scope of this communication to consider whether it is suitable for you and your financial objectives. For disclosures, please visit www.rbccm.com disclosure.